Hi, my name is Emily Rass, and thank you for listening to my flood story. I would like you to leave the quad now, walking away from the CBD. Cross over the car park towards the ovals. If you turn left, you'll come down to the roundabout. This is the corner of Dawson and Woodlark Street. I'm sending you here because these fields play a part in my story, and I'll tell you about that soon. On Thursday night, I was at home. We lived in Brewster Street, just down from the square. We rented a small apartment underneath another house. The rain had been falling for two weeks, and myself and my son were having a lot of cabin fever. But there was talk of a flood. We went to sleep wondering and worrying about my sister who lived just next to the river. But I thought that we would be okay because we were on the other side of town. That night I couldn't sleep with worry and I heard the alarms go off at the very early hours of the morning. It echoed right across the town. I really didn't know what it meant. But I called my sister we promised to keep in touch throughout the day. I couldn't wait for dawn to break, and as soon as it did, I went outside and I looked across the football fields from my veranda. It was the river, but it was here, not where you'd expect it to be. It had taken over the city, and I was creeping up across the football fields towards my house. I didn't really know what was happening. The town was silent, but I had put my car up on the hill just in case any roads got blocked. We walked around our apartment and the street that morning and just watched the water. It came and it came and it came, slowly and silently, and it just kept coming. By about mid-morning, I realised that I would need to get my apartment ready because there was a chance that maybe the water would reach our house. I tried to do whatever I could to prepare the house, not having any previous idea of what it would be like in a flood. Around midday, the water had flooded my yard and was coming under my house. I tried to do things like roll up towels and rugs and blankets and put them around the doors and lifted things higher but the first sound that I heard was this bubbling and the water came up through all the drains in the bathroom. Then it started to flood in around the skirting boards, all around the walls around the house. I realised that those things I'd done weren't really going to help. The floorboards all started curling and lifting. I thought maybe a few things might get damaged in the house, so I tried to lift everything out of the water as much as I could. The water just continued to rise. Soon it was up to my knees, so I lifted things higher. My son was three at the time, and I knew the water would be unsafe for him. He sat on the stairs watching me, or sometimes played with his toys on the landing of the neighbour's front porch. And I started shifting a few of our valuable or things we wanted to preserve up there to keep them safe. By the afternoon, it was up to my thighs. The coffee tables 
chairs and the beds were the first things to start floating. It was a surreal vision to see my belongings floating around the house and floating out the door. So you should be at the roundabout by now, and I'll tell you what I saw. I noticed spiders and lizards and bugs and cockroaches. They were scurrying up, also trying to survive this flood. They would run over my arms and legs and up my head. I'd never seen so many, but it didn't worry me. I just knew they were trying to survive as well. The water had this slick of oil that well pulled into my house. It came from the cars that were still parked in the street and bags of garbage started floating in and out of the doors that had come from all the neighbours' garbage bins. The water was smelly and dark and it started to burn my skin. And at that stage, I had the inkling that it wasn't going to stop. It was going over our heads. I put the last of our stuff up onto the kitchen bench and knew that I had to leave the water soon myself. I closed our front door and went up the stairs to finally join my son. We couldn't access the house, so this was where we stayed. We had no power and we had not much food and there was no water in the taps. Darkness in the night came quickly, which was a blessing and a curse. I was exhausted and having no power, there was nothing to do but stop. I lay down with my son on the floor and soothed him to sleep. And then I rolled on my back and unfortunately couldn't stop my mind. And I stayed awake all night, listening to all of our belongings, sloshing around in the apartment below, bumping against the walls and the roof. Every now and again, an SES boat would go down the road and send ripples and waves that would slosh against the houses. I just lay there, thinking, worrying, but glad that we were safe. I could see the SES sometimes evacuating old people or sick people, and I knew that we were okay. So I decided we should stay and let them help other people and we could get out the next day. On Saturday morning we woke up. Well, I don't think I ever slept. The water had receded just slightly. We sat around and watched to see if it would go down even more. Around midday on Saturday, I realised that the water wasn't receding that quickly in our area and we should get out. We needed food, we needed water, we needed a flushing toilet and my skin was itching. I really needed a shower. I'd spent hours in that flood water that was full of oil and dirt. My skin was itching. I kept watching the street until I could flag down an SES boat. They sent someone over to us quite quickly. I got together a bag of our valuables and we got some shoes. And I told my son how exciting it was that we were gonna get to go on one of these bright orange boats. We walked to the stairs and the friendly volunteers 
called to us with big smiles and open arms. My son had a huge smile on his face as they lifted him in and sat him in the boat. I smiled back at him. I encouraged my son to wave as the boat rowed us down the street past other people still in their houses. It was something I never expected to do, to ride down the streets in a boat that we'd normally drive along. We didn't have to go very far. They left us at the roundabout at the bottom of High Street. There was a lot of media around and flood tourism, but no one there to greet us. We'd had no power, so I couldn't contact anyone on my phone. We walked up the hill to my car, where I'd parked it the day before, and I just made the decision to drive to a friend's house. My friend Eddie immediately let us in. She opened her home to us. She let us cook, clean and sleep, because we were exhausted. Before I tell you what happened to me after the flood, I'd like you to turn around and retrace your steps back to the quad. On Monday morning, I prepared myself to go back to the house. I knew that I had to remain calm and strong so that my son could see that everything was going to be okay. I arrived at my house and there was already people in there, people from the community who were cleaning things up, and I joined them. I can remember a feeling of devastation overwhelming me, but I just kept cleaning. People were asking around, whose house is this? Whose house is this? And I calmly responded to them, it's mine. It was amazing to feel the support of these strangers who were covered in mud on their hands and knees, cleaning whatever they thought could salvage and dragging anything else out onto the pile on the side of the road to be dumped. There was only one point when I picked up some books that people had given me when my son was born. They weighed a ton and although I wanted to save them, they were full of mud and completely ruined. But I had a little cry. But then everybody kept giving me words of encouragement and we just kept cleaning. It was sad to see how much stuff was irreversibly damaged and I couldn't believe how much this disgusting mud penetrated things. Everybody worked all day tirelessly and I think it helped having something to do as we were all in such a state of shock. There was a lot of uncertainty for my future and I wasn't sure where my son and I could go I had no savings, and as I'd been a solo parent, we had been surviving off Centrelink, and I couldn't find another place for us to rent. We moved around friends and couch surfed. At times, we stayed in a refuge. I tried to stay positive and show a brave face. I wanted my son to know that we were always going to be okay, and that I would work this out. After two months, I finally found us a great place to live, in Ballina, and I quickly began to build a home for us, although we had no furniture. I was very grateful for the emergency relief 
that the government had given me. It was about $1,000, and I put that towards a new bond. The flood was an extremely unifying and humbling experience. It forced our whole community of Lismore to start thinking about each other. And I witnessed so many incredible acts of service from neighbour to neighbour and strangers. I feel like our community all grew together going through such a hard time. Three years on, I feel like the flood is still a very significant event in my life. It was an experience that my son and I went through together and we'll never forget. But I think it made our bond almost even stronger to realise that it's not about the things that we own or where we live. It's about your relationship and your love for each other. My son still remembers the flood. He still remembers what he lost in the flood. But he doesn't look back on it in sadness, which is what I'm most grateful for. Thank you. I greatly appreciate you listening to my flood story. Now if you can please return to the shipping container and return your raincoat, your gumboots and your headset. Thank you.